freaking out this, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Jerry DePoto in 30 minutes. Nice to talk to him after a Mariner Wednesday win. It feels like a new uh, world. Last few mm-hmm. weeks they won on Wednesdays and well, it just must be because they win almost every day. They've won the last seven and nine of their last ten and what is it, 14 of their last 16. So yeah, when you get on a roll like that, it uh, means you're winning pretty darn often, which is great. A lot of people agreeing with me on rewinding Fubo, as great as the app is in general. I really enjoy it, but this rewind feature, not spectacular. Brock, uh, as we continue on our most intriguing Seahawks countdown, we are on today to a guy that I think we've talked very little about, and I'm not sure I know a whole lot about him. Maybe that's why it makes him... Number 13. 12. Number 12. I tried to put the new one in here and it didn't work. Number 12. (laughs) Devin Bush. Who's Devin Bush? He's short, certainly compared to other linebackers. You see him out there. He's smaller than Jamal Adams. He's smaller than probably Julian Love. Like, he's a safety. But he's a linebacker, and he was a fantastic linebacker in college at Michigan. He was a first-round pick in Pittsburgh, where their linebackers are their legacy, and it never really worked out for him. He was injured, and I think that probably took away a little bit of the speed. But he is supposed to be the kind of guy that comes in and makes plays, that makes those splash plays we talked about all that time with Bobby Wagner. I think it's one of the things Schneider liked about him when they brought him in. As a player, Devin, you know, for for a, a you know, a, you know, obviously an instinctive player, really talented college player. You know, the thing that stands out this past year is the way he'll strike you. He'll he can really take on guards. Um, he's not afraid to throw his body around, and uh, he still has that you know that short close about him. Uh, closing the distance and like playing with good angles and you know again the good eyes. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see him uh, fit into our group here. Find somebody who loves you like John Schneider loves a cast off ex first round pick. Yeah, John loves to bring in those guys that didn't work out somewhere else, and not all of them have worked here. He certainly tried it. Lou mm-hmm. Jokel was a guy he gave some money to that didn't work, but Deion Jordan and some others have maybe worked out better than mm-hmm. than others. So, which will Devin Bush be? Is he a guy that is simply just too undersized to play that position? Or is he a guy who can utilize that speed and maybe even utilize his lack of height to hide himself behind some of those defensive linemen and find a way to be a playmaker for a defense that really needs plays made? He's number zero on the field. He's number 12 on your list. I I just, I've seen these college kids try to wear a zero. It just bothers me. I'm I'm sorry. Just a bias. Kind of like it. Okay. It's just a bias. Kind of like it. (laughs) Oh, it says something. Right, it's like Cam Newton wearing number one. It it says a little I like something. It. Yep. I like it. Yep. I like the. Sw- I like it. I, like I know it. what else you like. It's on I'll, fleek, bro. I'm gonna. T- it is, dude. It's perfect. I'm gonna talk about this for a minute, and you're gonna go to your phone again. You're gonna multitask right. twice during our show. All right, let's do it. Um, I need you to go to Twitter, yep. and I think if you search up Devin Bush, oh, you'll know how to search it better. But he tears up the Spartan logo at Michigan State. You want to talk about just a, that was before the game. I want to say his final year, Michigan, Michigan State. It's not Michigan, Ohio State, but those two schools don't like each other. And look at Devin Bush oh, yeah. 
This was the... He's like uh, doing like a bull stomp, like before a bull charges somebody. He's a Bronco bull right there, and he is tearing apart the Spartan logo. He don't care. Probably the same reason why he wears zero. He don't care. And he had such a swag about him. If you remember his suit on draft night, it was funky. It was eccentric. It was out there. It's like, yeah, man, when you're a 5'10 linebacker, and not like a Sam Mills 5'10, 240. Oh, gosh, who was that guy that played for the Bills? He knocked me. London Fletcher. London Fletcher hit me so hard in the preseason, too. Like, oh. And Dave Wyman will say this. It's maybe the one place on earth where, like, you as a male want to be a little shorter. Dave's like, it wasn't advantageous to be 6'3". Like, he, 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 he wanted, he had jealousy for the Sam Mills and the London Fletchers and those guys that could get behind their pads, that could hide and then strike you. But you better be able to strike. And part of the reason, Sulky, that he was available on a one-year small deal was because the market looked at his tape and said, there's plays he still has it, but then there's plays he doesn't have it. So can he have it consistently on a one-year deal where he's got to prove to this league? And frankly, and and I didn't know this in April. I didn't know it in May. I, I feel like I know it now in August, frankly. He's playing to keep Jamal Adams off the field or, or, or away from his spot, too. Undersized, weak side linebacker that can run and hit. That's going to be a lot more of Jamal Adams' bio when he does come back and how quickly he comes back yeah. and what it looks like with Devin Bush and how Devin plays in Jamal's absence will be very, very intriguing. So what does it look like if everyone's healthy? I, I know that doesn't always happen, and these things have a way of just working themselves out. But what do you think it looks like with Bobby, Jamal... Jordan and Devin. I mean, that's four guys for kind of what two spots. Yep. What does that look like? It kind of looks like a, a Mariners rotation with three arms down in down in Arkansas, ready to go if the others can't sustain. That's kind of what it looks like. So we've got to have numbers and strength in numbers, right? And we, and we know in this front seven that, and it's one of the little things that Bert snuck in. It was a it was a complicated conversation with Bert yesterday with some twists and turns. But he did say at one point, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and trade for some defensive line depth. They got linebacker depth, what you just said. When they will all be available, what that will all look like, how it sorts itself out, they, time will they only certainly tell. certainly have depth in their secondary. Uh, lots of depth in their secondary. So the interior of that D-line probably still needs a body or two. So that doesn't surprise me in the next three weeks something happens there. But to your question, man, you want strength in numbers, especially coming off ACL coming off back-to-back lost years for Jamal, coming off for Devin, a devastating knee injury early in his career, coming off Bobby Wagner at this just stage. Can he play three downs every game? So they built some depth in there. When they all come back, it will be very, very intriguing. All right, he's number 12 on our most intriguing list. Tomorrow we will be on to number 11, and then the top 10 starts, of course, next week. Brock, uh, you mentioned the Johnny Manziel. Did you end up watching the documentary? The whole thing. So what do you make? He, so he didn't watch film? Like, he just flat out didn't want, like, zero, zero film. Zero. How does that happen? How is that possible? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, you brought up the little uh, tussle that, that Pete and I had off the air, by the way, about oh, Johnny sorry. Manziel. There was, a little, there was a little clip of Johnny at SEC Media Days after he got booted from the Manning camp because you can drink beer but not hard alcohol. Um, so he gets booted from the camp. That's a dumb rule, by the way. Yeah, anywho. Uh, he gets That's booted. a Peyton rule? 
I am I am on the set there. It never shows the set. It just shows Johnny walking Beer's through. Like much worse for you. Any like all the like caloric problems. Focus all. It feels like, like it should be the other way around. Goodness, will you focus? Please? Sorry, go ahead. I sorry, also, I also cannot look past it. Brock, I'm sorry. You've said something that doesn't make any sense. Uh, all right, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said it then. Well, okay? it's very distracting. Justin and I are trying to put our heads together on this. Yep. Okay, he gained the whole world and he lost his soul. He gained the whole, yeah. whole world, and it is a hard watch. Can, it is absolutely worth watching. But can you it answer is. my question? How did he not watch film? Because he got to do whatever Johnny wanted to do. He was Johnny Football, and as a redshirt freshman, he won the Heisman, and he made a school hundreds of millions of dollars. And I knew then what Pete didn't know, which was this is what's going on in college. They had to have people to just make sure that he got to practice, not to class, because, you know, a class was online. Johnny had to do online classes <laughs> because Johnny Manziel was the man, Johnny right. Football. And everywhere he went, he was mobbed. Not quite Swifties. I'm not saying that. But watch that documentary and see the fame and see the fortune and see the attention and see the chaos. See all of it. Unbelievable. And it, happened, it was happening in college long before he ever got to the NFL. And he got to a dysfunctional place, a dreadful place that he didn't want to be at. And yeah, he made it clear that – and I didn't realize the documentary showed this – he tried to go to Vegas on a Saturday, come back for the Sunday Cleveland game. Like, after walkthrough yeah, Saturday, God. I'm going to go to Vegas. We'll be back I, tomorrow morning. I'm going to be back in time, catch the last flight out Saturday night. Unfortunately, he missed it. Oh. And then he, he just decided what he'd do at that point. Get a private jet, bus across the country. Nah. I'm going all in, and I'm going to get so blasted that I jump into fountains and get the pictures taken and get cut, I think, two days later. I remember that. That's pretty yeah, much going to pretty 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 be the end for that. All right. Yep. Uh, Jerry DePoto will join us here in 20 minutes. He's got right now the best team in baseball over the course of the last five or six weeks. How do we get here? We'll ask him right after everything you need to know next. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. You know what I love, Brock? I love when Need to Know gives us an opportunity to play something like this. Here's the stretch. And the 3-2 pitch swing and a fly ball deep to right field. Way back, going and going. And goodbye baseball off the windows of the Hit It Here Cafe. Cal Raleigh, the big dumper, with a two-run blast here in the bottom of the eighth inning. His 19th home run of the year, way out to right. We talked about his penchant for big home runs in big situations, and it gives the Mariners a 3-1 to one lead. They would not give it back or on to win 6-1. to one. What a moment. That was a 450-foot blast to right field. Just a cannon shot. Uh, rookie Emerson Hancock, Brock, was fantastic. He went five innings, only allowed one run on two hits. The game maybe sped up on him a little bit early, but he figured out how to let it slow down. Scott Service happy with what he got. Well, I think, you know, you never know how guys are going to react. Um, I was really impressed with his stuff. I thought he had good movement to his fastball tonight. Um, through the breaking ball, a uh, little slider cutter thing he's got to get him back in some counts. Um, you know, the changeup still, it's a really good pitch. He's got to command it a little bit better getting in the strike zone more. But stuff was really good. I thought he handled everything well. You know, they know he's a rookie. They're going to try to, you know, jump around the bases, steal some bases, get him uncomfortable. But he kept his composure. It really stood out for me. Um, this guy's pitched a lot of college baseball. He's pitched a lot of minor league baseball. He looked really good out there tonight. Very comfortable. Okay, on both of those fronts, fourth longest left-handed home run in the last 10 years in that part. 
450 feet, 110 miles an hour. Shohei leads the way at 463. Actually, Cal had a 444-foot blast as well last year, so two of the ten longest. Uh, by the way, do you know who's just ahead of him? Jared Kelnick at 455. I don't remember specifically which one that was, but uh, those two guys, just young, unbelievable power. And speaking of young, Passon said this yesterday. You retweeted it with the video the station put together as well. When you saw now Hancock come up, that is in this whole draft developed trade model, right? That is now Logan and George. That is now Miller and Wu and Hancock. That is an entire rotation that you have drafted and you have developed and have been in the big leagues, not just in the big leagues, but dominant succeeded. at times in these yeah, big leagues. And, and I think you've got to add in Brandon Williamson, who they traded as part of that whole thing as well. I mean, that's six guys from that group that they've brought up as starters that have stuck before you get to Matt Brash, who became a reliever, or you bring in Luis Castillo and Robbie Ray. It really is quite the wealth of pitching the most important commodity in the game. So the Mariners won seven straight, nine of ten, and uh, they remain two back as Toronto wins yesterday in the wild card, but five and a half in the division as Texas loses. One thing we will watch for, and we'll ask Jerry about it in ten minutes, what's going on with J.P. Crawford? He was removed late in the game after a collision. He will be checked today for a concussion. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, remember when we last saw the Seahawks, Brock? They were in the playoffs, but not able to get over the hump against a very good 49ers team. Tonight, we'll see them again for the first time in the preseason. What's Pete looking for? Running and hitting. So you get these guys out there, really, really get the, the full speed stuff. This is, we, we, we want these preseason games to give us the chance to make sure that we're at that. Uh, that mentality and technical side of uh, what we need to do, we'll find out how you know what we need to work on and all. But we got uh, three full weeks to do this, and uh, you know, almost 200 plays to get it done. So that's what the preseason games are really important to us. About 200 plays, man. That is it. Right when you think about that, special teams, offense, defense, everything else, about 200 total plays, and how they divvy them up, and what it looks like, and what this rookie class is. I know this. Listening to that, your boy with the big knees and the short shorts, he's front row, mm-hmm. running hit. Run a hit. Run a hit. Coach wants to run a hit. I'm going to run a hit. Can't wait to watch Derek Hall do it tonight. Well, I don't think we're going to see too much of the starters, Gino, DK, etc. But Derek Hall, boy, Mafe, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, some of the other young kids. No Devin Witherspoon, though, as he is dealing with a hamstring injury. Kickoff at 7, pregame at 4 here on Seattle Sports on 710. Here's the third thing you need to know. Still waiting to find out what goes on with some of the Pac-12 teams that are left. The Mountain West is not going to do anything until the ACC does, and it sounds like Cal and Stanford to the ACC is not going to work, because why would it? Uh, in the meantime, Wazoo AD Pat Chun was on yesterday with Bump and Stacy. We are being ripped apart in college football, specifically due to economic forces, due to market forces, and uh, until there's better leadership as a whole, this is going to continue. What happened to uh, the four schools that remain in the Pac-12 is going to be a theme that you see over the course of the next um, the, the next decade, uh, unless we get better leadership in college football. Yeah, I saw a tweet somewhere this morning, Salk, that said the biggest winner in this are the attorneys for a lawsuit that's ongoing right now, that these players are not student-athletes, that they're actually employees. And if we go down that road, then you could just, it's not hard, right? I mean, we, we've seen what's going on. Well, if they're employees and we're going to separate and it's going to be a professional league and it's going to look and feel very, very differently and 
yeah, the economics is just not going to work in a lot of markets. Something to keep an eye on, though, and a few of my different Coug buddies have said this. There's a lot of millions of dollars out there for damages. If this if this yep. falls away and this conference dissipates and the network falls apart, there is going to be some money to make the Beavs and the Cougs whole. That is everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. All right, we got two minutes before uh, we got to take a quick break before Jerry Depoto and Brock. You wanted earlier in order to get more to feel a little more comfortable and confident saying those magic words, "big dumper" together mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to to do her version of Rick Riz's call, which we just played you from last night's Cal Raleigh home run. Are you ready for that? Is more. Ready. I would just like to preface this by saying, oh, that <laughs> I don't have any aspirations of doing play-by-play. I don't think I did Rick Riz justice. No prefacing. Nobody can. Just do Nobody your can. best. More. This isn't we'll about Rick. You. This and isn't you just about threw anybody it at me else. Last minute, so. This is all about right. just. Oh my gosh! All right, all right. Just the excuses. Right. You haven't even started yet. Stop. <laughs> drop the excuses. Here we go. There's a stretch in the three-two pitch swing and a fly ball deep to right field, way back going and going. two-run home run blast here in the bottom of the eighth inning. His 19th home run of the year, way out to right. We talked about his penchant for big home runs and big situations, and he gives the Mariners a 3-1 lead here in the bottom of the eighth inning. Holy smokes! What a shot by Cal Raleigh. Holy Holy smokes is right. Are your hair standing up? Sandbagger. You're such a sandbagger. I'm not going to be good at this. I don't want to do play-by-play. And then you go crush it. I just felt like I just screamed the whole time. How dare you? How dare you lower our expectations Should we play that for Jerry? Did you hear the in-studio call, Jerry? Jerry, did you hear our – we do these – I don't know if you know this, Jerry, but we do these games, Salk and I and Moore and Justin. I'm so mad at you right now. I can't believe you told us you wouldn't be. Oh, I'm not. I don't want to do this for a living. It's this is just thrown at me last minute. You big excuse oh my maker, gosh. and then you go out and Stop destroy it. it like that. Jeez. Are you happy with the way I said big dumper? I thought it was great. I it's thought incredible. from start to finish it was a plus. <laughs> We're gonna send that to Martinez. Well, I mean, I got See, to... you, the Mariners only have like two announcers at this point. They might be able to use you more. I got to copy one of the greats. You know, I don't know if I would have. Come hey, up with that on my own. We can have some, we'll give you a writer. You'll be just fine. <laughs> we'll give you a writer. He'll write the script and you just read the game. Jerry DePoto joins us next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Wow, how many games in a row can this Mariner team win? It is now at seven and nine of their last ten. They're even winning on Wednesdays, so we know everything is moving in the right direction. What a great lead-in to Jerry DePoto. Hello, how are you? I thought that was a great lead-in. Thank you. All things being equal. I know, I really tried hard on that one. The uh, <laughs> electronics let me down. Jerry, this is getting kind of boring. How many, uh, how many young pitchers can you bring up that are all just good as soon as they get here? I'm not bored. I, I, I think it's uh, it's been so fun to watch, and Emerson did a great job. Stayed so composed last night. I thought, and it's it's been a real tribute to our pitching programs from the minor leagues up. You know, the uh, the recently departed Max Weiner, who will miss greatly as our minor league pitching coordinator, and Max Pierpont, and the guys that have done such a wonderful job for us in player development through the years. 
and just keep delivering. And, you know, we, we keep getting somebody in their young 20s who shows up and, and drives us even further into what is turning out to be a pretty interesting season. It's done this before. I mean, to Jeff Passon was on with us yesterday and said, listen, just in the last couple of years, they have drafted and developed an entire rotation with Logan and Kirby and Miller and Wu. And then we get to see finally Hancock last night. Salk throws in Williamson as well. I know he was traded. But are there other organizations that have done that around baseball over the last couple decades with an entire rotation and not just up, but performing at the level that these guys have? You know, I, I mean, we'd like to think that we've done it well, and, and I think the, the results so far have been terrific for us. I think Cleveland uh, has been, you know, in that general ballpark in, in recent years. Uh, I could look back at guys like Shane Bieber and, you know, the recently traded Aaron Savali and Tristan McKenzie. I, I don't know if anybody's, you know, filled out a rotation, you know, five or six deep in that category, but I, it's just you have to have depth. To, to build, uh, to have winning teams. And, and the foundation that we built with our pitching was the primary focus when we started this, this roster build back in, you now it really started in 2018. And when we started, the, the, the thought process was build on a foundation of pitching. We're going to add around it. And, you know, starting pitching really has been the foundation of this team for a while. And, you know, we've, we've, we've been missing Robbie Ray and Marco Gonzalez and, and now Brian Wu. And when that happens, you have to be able to tap into your system and, and then they've delivered every time. And we seem to not miss a beat. Is there, you know, you mentioned all the people involved in that development. Is there one phrase, one key element to what they've all worked on, one sort of guiding principle that has helped bring these guys up like this? You know, I, I know it sounds a little bit cliche by this point. You've been listening to it for eight years, but it's dominate the zone. That's what we do. And when when pitchers come into our system, the, the challenge or the, the instruction from ground level, from rookie ball up, is we throw strike one. That's what we do. We get ahead and we work ahead and, and we attack the strike zone. And, you know, today with our minor leaguers up and down our system, we are number one in baseball and throwing strike one. We have a higher strike one or, or first strike percentage than any other organization in baseball because that's what we focus on. And, you know, I don't know what it's called. I think it's called the Pearson effect or something like that. But the, it's, it is the notion is you, you, you track it and you will be better at it. And, we post it for the guys every day. They see it coming up through development. They take pride in it. And, you know, we win our OOs, and then we win our 1-1s. And if we do that, we're going to win the game. And I'm going to guess, Jerry, that, uh, well, kind of that old saying that winning begets winning. But in this case, it's, it's not necessarily just winning. It's pitching dominance there. That uh, the St. Louis Cardinals over the years and the decades, right, pretty renowned as well, and Atlanta through their years. But I'm going to guess these young guys, when they come up, are like, uh, yeah, this works. Like I, I, I now see all of these previous examples of the guys that you know have been in this organization ahead of me, right, and have tracked and have done this and seen the success on the field. So I'm, I'm going to guess the continuity of, of your staff and development and the success of others probably creates a pretty immediate buy-in for the young guys. Yeah, and it's a, we're starting to develop a real positive reputation around the league for what our pitching people have done, and and it's not just you know Trent and Woody in the big leagues. It's it's the analysts that surround them. It's people in our, like I said, in our player development programs. And 
you know, we've, we've, we've tapped into something that we do well. And, and then we go find pitchers who we feel like have the tools or, or the, the aptitude, the makeup to fit into these programs and excel. And, and when they walk in the door, sometimes I think the response from players, you know, now we're getting a lot of, Oh, I heard you guys are good at the pitching thing. <laughs> and it's a, uh, you know, it's funny, but I, at the same time, it's, it's something we're pretty proud of. And, and I, and I really would like to celebrate those guys for what they've done to contribute. And, and it's not always as simple as, Hey, throw strike one, you know, there's, there's more complexity to it as we get into you know, the, the development of each pitcher, it, that's a, both the minor and major leagues, you know, then we get into recrafting the way they use their arsenals or shaping pitches in a new and different way. And, and that takes talent. That takes commitment on the part of the player. You know, it's not just as simple as, hey, throw it that way. And, you know, we combine all those things, and it's, and it's worked out really well for us. Talking to Jerry DePoto, our weekly conversation here brought to you by Seattle Pump and Equipment. Jerry, you mentioned Brian Wu. Uh, what do we know as of today? Uh, we know it's it's not a particularly long-term concern. We feel like this is a, an opportunity for us to try to manage what was a little soreness coming out of his last bullpen and be a little proactive in trying to manage the, the, the inning load that he's carrying. And now just give him a couple of days down. He'll get into a throwing program, hopefully here in the next few days. And we'll know more about the the timeliness of his return, but we don't anticipate it's going to be a a long range issue. Uh, And obviously this would be a good problem to have and probably not one you need to deal with today, but I'll ask anyway, if Hancock continues to look great and everything else is equal, what do you do when he comes back? You know, it's funny, we were actually intending at the, after these off days, you know, we had an off day today, we had an off day um, on Monday, and it, our intention was after the off days to go to a six-man rotation for a period of time, which would help us to manage the, the innings for our young starters coming down the, you know, I, I guess coming down that last month and a half or, or so of the season. And we still would like to do that. So we'll we'll look at what happens here over the next couple of weeks with Emerson in the rotation. And you know, our goal was to to manage innings for for those last six weeks anyway. And and that's one way we can do it. And we had a, a plan laid out to to manage it in just that way. And and just like most plans, it got blown up when when Brian we walked in and said, "Hey, I feel a little fuzzy today." <laughs> so it's. Uh, but we'll we'll get back to, to plan A and, and do the thing that, that we had originally planned to do, provided everybody's healthy and ready to go. What do they say? How to make God laugh, make a plan? Yeah, that's we're, we're very good at making plans <laughs> that don't work out quite like we thought. <laughs> it seems like that's baseball these days. Um, let's uh, just the way the team is playing in general right now. I mean, obviously seven straight. What is it? Nine of 10. And I think it's 14 of 16. You know, not just how do we get here, but I want to focus for a moment on Scott's role in it as the team was not playing its best in the first three months. What is Scott's role in keeping them going and kind of getting them to where they are right now? You know, it's Scott's role has always been first around culture. And, you know, I, I think we came into spring training. We had very high expectations. The first half of the season, we didn't play our best baseball. We, we, round, we wound up in that win-two, lose-two mode for quite a while. But our culture never really changed. You know, our, our players came to work every day. They worked their tail off. We have a learning environment. And, you know, we have a young team. And I know you've heard Scott say that before, you know, through the years. It's a, we have a young team and part of having a young team is, is you teach and, and you work on 
you know, developing skills and, and awareness, situational awareness. And Scott has had his foot to, to the floor on that from day one. And, and in many ways, this, I think, in what has been a really good three-year run, it, it, Scott has been at his best this year when we did have turbulence on the front end. We had a terrible month of June. And, you know, when everybody's swirling around you and they, it's time to get down, he, he said, There's, this is different. This team is different. We just haven't found that vibe. We haven't found that groove. And, and you know, this past road trip, when uh, the, not the four-game trip to, to Anaheim, but the one before that, well, I was back here in Seattle, and I since got a text after a game, and he said we got that vibe back. Hmm. And you know that's it's a credit to him for for believing that it was going to happen, and for maintaining a real positive environment that was built around work and focus, and and not getting overly frustrated by what was a, a frustrating series of events for the first three months of the season. Well, you mentioned you mentioned vibe. I, it makes me wonder what you thought when you saw this. Straight away center, Julio gauging, looking, jumping, and he did not get it. Oh, he did. Yeah, he did. Oh, he did get it. <laughs> oh man, you want to talk about psych? Tatis went into his home run trap routine. What was your reaction when you saw that? My, my reaction was, boy, I wonder what Logan's thinking right now. <laughs> <laughs> because he got me too. I think none of us knew he had the ball. And, and you know, in, in hindsight, looking at the smile on Tatis' face, looking at the smile on Julio's face, it, the thing that comes to mind is, you know, what a great talent. You know, he's making that. I didn't even think that was the best catch he made that night. <laughs> he had an unbelievable defensive game, and he has a flair. He's, you know, he's got a showman to him that really makes the fans a part of the game, and and it's so much fun. It, it's it's fun to be around. It's fun to to it's fun to watch our team when our team is playing with that kind of of vibe. And and Julio is is oftentimes at center up. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I don't want to create a straw man and say, oh, there are people out there who were upset about it. But I walked upstairs and the salesperson here yesterday was like, hey, was that OK? I was worried the other team was going to get mad and throw at him or something like that. And certainly it didn't seem like anyone in the Padres was upset. But is that the type of thing that would have made people upset 20 years ago or was this type of thing always OK? Oh, no, that's it. That, 20 years ago, entirely different event. And you know, but baseball, sports in general, have changed so much over the course of the last couple of decades, and and I think in good ways. It's it's a it, it's it's all related to the generation that you're in, and you know, right now we're trying to to connect with a generation of fans who this is what this is what drives it, and you know, the bat flip, the the showmanship after making a catch like that. There's it's it's just a different game, you know. I, when when we were playing, it was about facial hair and the color of your shoes and how much sock you were showing. <laughs> the, the games moved on, and and you know I think in a in a good way, uh, it, you are allowed to flip a bat, you are allowed to show emotion on a field, you are allowed to have fun with the opponents on a given night, and it's it's funny, you know, never I, in in my baseball life do I recall you know a hitter hitting a ball, smoking a ball, and you know, an outfielder bringing it back over the wall like Julio did or, or we've seen in years past, you know, the hitter typically looks dejected or angry <laughs> that, that, that this event just occurred. 
And in today's time, you know, they tip the cap, they point at them, they laugh or they smile. It's a, it's a different community of players, you know, playing a game with a different type of flair in a league that I think is more connected to one another than it used to be. It used to be segregated by team, and, and now it is not quite that way anymore. Was it, was it Bonds who picked up Ichiro when he, when he stole a ball in the All-Star game? You remember that? Yes, I do. And, and, and it might be, you know, the first time that I can remember seeing yeah. it. There was a, and there might have been one, I, it, if memory serves, like Torrey Hunter in Milwaukee back in the All-Star game in 94. But that's an All-Star always, game. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, totally different, always right? always refers to the All-Star game. Yeah. And, you know, never, re, you know, it was Adam Jones in the, the WBC a sure. handful of years ago. Uh, but but never in regular season games, and now it's a really common thing, and and I think it's good. I think it's good that the players have fun with one another, and it's they're playing a game, and and they were trying to make it fun for the people who are watching. And, and if you don't have fun watching the, that moment between Julio and Tatis, you know, and watching the bewilderment on the faces of anyone who wasn't sitting in the pen, <laughs> it was it was pretty fun. Hey, so one of the other things you can't help but notice about this team kind of post trade deadline, especially is that you've gotten a little bit more athletic. How much of that was the goal at the deadline? You know, when we made our, our deadline moves and, and I was sitting in the, in the office with Justin, with Scott, with Carson Vitale, and, and we talked about, you know, guys like Josh Rojas and Don Canzone who came on the club, Cade Marlowe, who we had just recently called up, and, and others who have just made their debuts this year and changed the way we play. And, you know, the, the resurgence or I guess the healthy resurgence of Dylan Moore, the things that Jose Caballero has brought to our team, you know, it, this is the team that we always envisioned having, the, that athletic team that could move the game, that could change it on the bases, that could take two bases at a time. You know, we've played excellent defense and truly excellent defense around the field. It doesn't matter the position you look at. It's a, we have been pretty awesome uh, for much of the year, but especially lately defensively. And in order to get to that team, you don't just you know, blink or snap your fingers. It takes commitment from coaches, from Perry Hill, from Scott, and and really from a front office to go out and find players who fit that model. And 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 I think we're getting closer to the team that we always imagined we would have. That is a little bit more. You know, they're matchup capable. We have left hand bats, right hand bats, athletes who can play multiple positions, and and you know sound defense, good base running. It's it takes time, but it really is starting to come together for us, and I'm excited for it. Well, it, it's really interesting in the outfield, and obviously you've got another athletic outfielder who's on the shelf right now. Do we have any update on Jared's toe or foot? We don't. Uh, you know, he's down going through his, his workouts, his PT in Arizona and hope to get some updates. They usually come on a, on a Thursday like this. So might have one a little later this afternoon, but guys who are in multi-week, uh, rehab programs, we don't get a daily, uh, based on how much weight they're lifting or, or what their activity was that day, unless there's a setback. Well, yeah, there's another good question of, you know, what happens when, if and when he's able to return. Marlowe's been unbelievable doing, you know, stuff that he wasn't even doing in the minor leagues. You just brought in Canzone. What does your outfield look like going forward? Pretty good, I'd say. <laughs> you know, that's the, you know, I, it, that'd be a very good problem to have. And, and, you know, the good thing is that, that you know, again, it, they're young, athletic players. We are flexible. You know, every player you just mentioned has minor league options if it's necessary. 
And, you know, the easy answer to this in the baseball world, and this takes us full circle to where we started with, you know, with the plans that you make in baseball are easily broken. And the odds of us all being healthy and ready to go by the time JK walks back out are pretty remote. <laughs> That's just the way baseball works. And, and we'll manage it when we get there and, and we'll see what happens. But we are, we are a better team with Jared. And, and I hope that, that he does make it back in time to, to help us get to where we want to go. So how does a guy like Cade Marlowe, who has always you know been an intriguing player, or at least has been for the last couple of years, how, how do his numbers, his patience, from what I've heard, the quality of his at-bats, how do they get better in the big leagues than they were in AAA? Uh, his focus is so good. And, and, you know, I'll say this, we've, we've talked at times uh, through the years about Tom Murphy and Tom's preparation, his focus, the intensity that he brings to the table. And, you know, Cade Marlowe has that kind of focus. He's, he's like different level focused and it's, it's really shown up and it, and it started to show up, frankly, about two years ago. You know, Cade was a 20th round draft pick out of, University of West Georgia, not, you know, exactly teaming with, with big names through the years, but went into our system and immediately we thought, huh, he's athletic. He, he can do some things. And, and then we got a load of the personality and who he is. And, you know, he has always managed at bats, gotten on base. He has power. He has speed. He's a good base runner. You know, he can play all three outfield spots and has done it at the minor league levels consecutive years in 21 and 22 he was the only minor leaguer across all organizations who stole 20 hit 20 bombs and drove in 100 runs so he's he wasn't an unknown to us and you know we added him to the 40 he had an oblique issue he came back and the one thing i was talking about this yesterday on a podcast the one thing that has been true of Cade in his time as a mariner is when he gets on a heater he takes it to a different level as he becomes the best player on earth for a period of time, <laughs> it seems. And, and uh, he started to heat up last month in Tacoma. And it was funny, we were sitting in a room just post draft and, and uh, you know, Andy McKay turned around and said, that's ah, happening with Kate. And I said, all right, let's get him in the big leagues <laughs> because he does, he, he takes it to a different level and focus and, and we're in the middle of one of those heaters for him right now. And, and his at-bats have been awesome. So you bring up all these pitchers that are all coming up from Arkansas. You bring up a few of your hitters who have had some success in, in AAA and Tacoma. Why is it working that way? Why are all the pitchers in AA? Why are all the hitters in AAA? Mostly environmental. You know, it's a, we've talked, you, know, you and I have talked sometimes online, sometimes off about some of, you know, ballpark factors. We have a, we have a particularly pitcher friendly ballpark in the big leagues. You know, we have a particularly pitcher friendly ballpark in double A, you know, and, and we have more of a neutral environment and in Tacoma, but it is a particularly offensive league around them. So, you know, we generally prefer to leave the, the, the pitching prospects that we feel are in that skill set development phase of their, of their minor league journey. We leave them in, in Arkansas for as long as we can because the environment allows us to test run different things like picking up a changeup, like sequencing pitches, like, you know, we call them green clouds, locations that we're trying to get the, the pitcher to, lo- to, to focus on. And, and you can do things in, in that space in Arkansas when you're playing half of your games in a pitcher-friendly environment. You know, you can do things that don't cause for the pitcher to lose confidence along the way. And, and you know, conversely, 
we send the hitters to, to Arkansas and it's a little bit more of a challenge. You know, it's a, it's, they are going to, they're going to hit a lot of really, you know, hard hit line drives to left center field. They get swallowed up. And, you know, as a result, when we see them doing the things that they need to do, controlling the strike zone, managing at bats, et cetera, you know, we'll move them along to AAA because they've met the challenge at the AA level. Hey, I know you got to run here in a minute. So do we, any update on JP Crawford from last night? None. You know, we should know more today. He took a pretty good blow to the to the jaw, I think it was. And, um, you know, didn't feel great. Obviously removed from the game. Was a little woozy post-game. And, you know, we'll find out today, you know, a little bit more once he checks in with the docs after he gets up and starts moving around. But um, that's, he has been – I think it's, he has been – the central driving force in the middle of our lineup and, 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 and for our team for the entirety of the season, really. So uh, hopefully if he's down, he's not down for too long because he's been incredibly important to us. And I'm basically a bad radio host. I just went 25 minutes. We didn't even talk about Cal Raleigh's home run last night because that was just magnificent. Very quickly here, how hard is it to hit a ball 450 feet to the pull side like that? At that kind of trajectory, you know, it's, <laughs> It seems to be his thing, you know. It's a, he he does it, and and he and he, it's not like it's the first time we've seen it live. And it's uh he does it pretty routinely in the batting practice sessions. But you know, Cal has a hot spot, and he's got a he's got a swing that was made for you know hitting the ball off those windows on that lofty trajectory. And and uh, and he seems to have been developing a penchant for doing it in in dramatic fashion. So uh, I, I think. Again, another player who has really started to gel over the course of these last five or six weeks. And like our team in general, even while we were struggling, everybody did the little something to keep themselves near the water level. Nobody sunk. And and now that they're all finding their groove, that we are finding our groove as a team, you know, we didn't have to climb out of this gigantic hole. All we had to do is get back above the water level and we could swim. And and right now that's happening with each of our players. It's happening for us as a team. And and well, if you would have told me on opening day, this is where you're going to be, you know, at, at this stage in August, I'd say, huh, I'll take that. And <laughs> and if you would have told me how it was going to happen, I'd say, oh, my God, do I have to go that way? <laughs> do I have to deal with that? Yeah, I would say they're not just swimming. This is like a Michael Phelps situation over the course of the last five or six weeks. Pretty darn impressive. Jerry, thanks for doing it. Great to see a Wednesday win a couple weeks in a row. And we'll talk again next Thursday. Sounds good, Mike. All right, there you go. There's uh, Jerry DePoto. Sorry, we're having a little technical difficulty with Brock, who we hope is going to join us again here in just another couple of minutes. I don't know what the heck is going on. It's a lot of moving pieces here today. It's Brock and Salk. We'll be right back on Seattle Sports.